You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. It's 11 o'clock at night. It's dark. You're sitting in front of the mirror getting ready for bed. There's nobody else in the house. You see something move in the corner of your eye. You glance to your right, but you don't see anything. Another minute goes by, and you think you see movement again. So you slowly turn to your left, but again, the room is empty. You turn back around, and staring you face to face in the mirror is a cat. You jump back, because you don't have a cat, and there's no cat in the room. But there he is, staring at you in the mirror. Welcome to Paranormal Pets, where you can always expect the unexpected. Each week, we'll discuss all aspects of weird or spiritual animal encounters, ghosts, totems, psychic animals, animal souls, animal angels, and animals in religion, with a little cryptozoology thrown in. Now, step into the supernatural world of pets with your Paranormal Pets ghostly host, our ghost host. Hello, and welcome to Paranormal Pets. I'm your host, Brandy Stark, and on today's midnight edition, actually, we are going to take a look at a wonderful exhibit called Mummies of the World, the Exhibition, which is open in Tampa, Florida, that features human and animal mummies. And then we're going to kind of catch up on a little bit of a backlog of paranormal pet stories that have been submitted to me over the past few weeks. So we're going to go ahead and get started with that right after these messages. Now time for something really scary. A word from our sponsors. Paranormal pets will reappear before you can say Bigfoot. Don't run away. Pet Life Radio has tail-wagging, fur-flying, fabulous deals for our listeners from Petco. Get $6 off your order of $60 or more and up to 40% off the entire Petco site. That's right, but that's not all. Because you're a Pet Life Radio listener, you'll also get free shipping on your order of $49 or more. $6 off, up to 40% off, and free shipping from Pet Life Radio and Petco. To get these awesome deals, go to PetcoDeals.com. That's PetcoDeals.com. Petco, where the pets go. I'm not much of a reader, but I do wish I were more well read. There are so many great books coming out. I wish I could find a way to keep up. Audible.com makes it easy to stay well informed and catch up on your reading simply by listening. Audiobooks from Audible turn downtime into uptime. You'll be more productive and become well read. Now I'm able to catch up on all the great books I've been wanting to read. With Audible, I feel smarter. Pet Life Radio listeners, try Audible.com now and get your first 30 days of Audible Listener Gold Membership Plan free. And get a free audiobook. Choose from over 100,000 titles. To get this great deal, go to audibledeals.com. That's audibledeals.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Did you hear that? Our commercials have mysteriously disappeared. 
Paranormal Pets is back with our haunted host, our ghost host. And welcome back to Paranormal Pets. I'm your host, Brandy Stark. And on this edition, we are going to go right on into the Museum of Science and Industry exhibit, Mummies of the World. Now, I am going to let you know that the Museum of Science and Industry is also very friendly, and it's called Mosey by most people that live here. It's either Mosey or Mosai, depending on who you are and who you're talking to in the Tampa Bay area. This museum has been open for quite some time, and in fact, way back in the Dark Ages, when I lived over in Lutz, it was it was kind of on the very edge of civilization uh, across from the University of South Florida, so if you're in this area and you'd like to see the exhibit, uh, look for USF Tampa, hard to miss it, uh, giant plastic dinosaur, recycle, I think it's called a recyclosaur, in front of the building, uh, but since that time, I have to say the first thing I noticed on this exhibit is that the museum has probably tripled or quadrupled in size since the 1980s when I first got down to Lutz, and it was, uh, it's immense, it's actually really, really a huge, huge place. The second thing that I ought to tell you is that when I first went to the Museum of Science and Industry, parking was free. It is not now, and I didn't know that. And in fact, I had been to the museum maybe as recently as a year and a half, two years ago, and parking was free. But now if you go, remember that you're going to need four bucks to get out. So I did not know that. was a little embarrassed, but fortunately I went down with a fellow spirits member, Mary, and uh, and she picked up the parking. If you are interested, you can actually buy a parking token. Brilliant, brilliant use of money actually for the museum because you buy these tokens and they just recycle them over and over again because you use the token to pay to get out. $4 token. I will also say that parking is certainly further away than I remember, which is actually... I don't mind that so much. It's a good thing. It means that the museum is very popular uh, and very, very well attended. So all of these things aside, let's talk about the exhibit. Mummies of the World, actually as a professor, I have sent my students down to see this exhibit and um, I will probably continue to send them as long as the exhibit is there for extra credit. But this is the blurb that they put on their official site. The highly anticipated Mummies of the World exhibit is now open. With its astounding collection of 150 mummies and objects, Mummies of the World is the largest exhibition of real human and animal mummies and related artifacts ever assembled. The groundbreaking exhibition offers guests a rare chance to experience both natural and intentionally preserved mummies from around the globe, some dating as far back as 6,500 years ago from South America, Europe, Asia, Oceania, and Egypt, changing centuries-old perceptions about what the general public thinks about mummies. Through modern science and engaging interaction and multimedia components, Mummies of the World reveals how the scientific study of mummies proves a window into the lives of ancient people, offering unprecedented insights into past cultures and civilizations, and showcasing how recent technology has dramatically changed the way scientists study mummies. So you know, costs to get in. (laughs) 
I was also a little bit surprised with this. I guess if you knew Mosey way back in the day, it was so small and so casual that it, it was, it's really a shock to see how large and professional it's gotten and a little, uh, you know, a little bit more on the costly side than I remember. But just for the exhibit itself, Adults ages 13 through 59 are $18.95 admission. Seniors 60 and over are $16.95. And children 2 to 12 are $12.95. If you want to see the museum exhibits in addition to that, it's an additional $5. And if you want to see any of the IMAX, it's actually got an IMAX theater, which is part of the reason that I was there about a year and a half ago seeing a wonderful movie on Van Gogh. But the IMAX add-on is another five dollars. In addition to that, when you get to the exhibit itself, even though the exhibit is very well done, they have an additional audio tour that has information not shown in the exhibit. And can you guess how much that audio tour is? Just based on what I've said before, it's another five dollars. <laughs> so just be aware of that. I'm cheap, so uh, you know I paid my eighteen ninety five. I guess I'm not a senior yet, right? <laughs> but uh, paid my eighteen ninety five. I'm certainly not a child anymore. I'm sorry to say I'm over twelve. But uh, to get in, and I just I kind of did the no frills version. But it is. I have to say the exhibit was very well done. Uh, if you are interested in mummies or forensics or culture, and you have to have a little bit of a stronger stomach for this one, but it really was visually beautiful, if that makes any sense. Cool lighting, simplistic but artistically done uh, arrangement of the rooms. They did use projectors, which I thought was kind of neat to put some information on the floor and on the walls. They did have running CDs or DVDs, I guess in today's world with the flat screen TVs, little mini, you know, one to two minute movies that talked about some of the mummies. The mummies, of course, had their placards themselves. And at one point they even had a person that stood by one of the mummy exhibits to describe a little bit about this particular piece. So I will say the atmosphere and the design, uh, the flow of the exhibit was excellent. We went on a Saturday, which is fairly unusual for me. Anyway, I usually try to hit exhibits during the week, but worked out for a Saturday. And um, even with the people that they had in there, they did also try to time it so that they would get a group, you know, and maybe let people in every 10 minutes, you know, kind of trying to keep that flow of traffic going. So kudos to them for that. In seeing the exhibit itself, there were some very unusual things. Now, I was excited because I'm thinking, hey, Paranormal Pets episode right here. Except, of course, that there are no pictures allowed, no recording devices allowed in. I did bring in my EVP device, but I ended up mostly keeping that in my purse and just kind of doing some checks with it. But the one thing I will say for that museum is they have low and very even EMF. So absolutely nothing going on there. It was a consistent, steady reading, uh, which also actually shows a lot of stability for that area and um, you know a great electrical system, apparently. 
I'm not able to get any pictures other than anything that I can find in the media, and I will try to post some links if I can find some reviews. I know that uh, local newspapers certainly did review the show, and it got some good reviews. When I went into the animal section, it was a little disappointing in some respects. The most interesting piece that they actually had was a howler monkey, a mummified howler monkey that had been dressed in a feathered shawl and skirt. But they can't do any studies on it. They don't know what it means, what it's about, why the people decorated it, how old it is. It turns out that uh, it is posted on a metal metal rod, which would interfere with certain dating, and it had been handled too much to really get a good, accurate carbon dating, which was kind of a bummer because that was really a cool piece. Uh, a little creepy, but very cool. Some of the other animal exhibitions in there uh, were a little hard to see and, and I have to say were disappointing. They had a mummified rat, which they said most likely from the past 100 years. Okay, well, how was it mummified? This rat was trapped in a cellar, just like you're going to find pretty much in any dry climate, you know. Uh, The only little interesting factoid was that apparently this rat might have been about 100 years old, primarily because uh, it was of a species that had been pushed out by another species that invaded Germany, interestingly enough, and really displaced it. So, one, it was hard to see a dead little rat. Kind of made me very sad. And two, eh, you know, I I just, you know, I mean, yeah, something more interesting. They did have a mummified squirrel that, can you guess, was caught in a cellar. Okay, they had a mummified cat that was, can you guess, caught and dried in a cellar. (laughs) You know, I mean, it was, you know, some of these animals were kind of interesting. The cat, for example, I think dated back to possibly the late 1800s because that's when the building had originally been built. Uh, And apparently there hadn't been any renovations done in that area, you know, up until perhaps fairly recently. So, okay, you know, that was a little disappointing. They did have a bog dog, a dog that they pulled out of a one of the Celtic bogs. But again, they couldn't tell you much about it. They had a rabbit that had been frozen and somehow mummified through kind of like this frostbite process. They had a jackal. And that, I mean, the stories were kind of sad. This jackal had gotten trapped in a cave or a hyena and uh, couldn't get out, starved to death. But in the cool, dry conditions of the cave, it was partially mummified. Okay. Now, if you do see this exhibit, you do have to, one, be prepared to deal with the stories. And I felt so badly for all of these animals. You know, I'm reading these going, oh, that poor thing. That poor, I can't believe it got caught in the cellar, you know. Things that I I would, you know, I don't know why. It just bugged me. The second thing is that uh, these animals are not pretty when they are preserved. They are definitely distorted. For example, the jackal... Most of the insides, you saw the rib cage. Literally, all of the viscera was gone. It had been actually preserved, yes, but I mean, these are decayed and, and dead bodies, so it's not going to be pretty. There were a couple cool parts in this part of the exhibit. One, they actually had little patches that you could touch to feel what mummified. X would feel like. So uh, fur from a mummified animal, and there's not a lot of fur on these mummies, let me tell you, because when the skin dries out, the hair falls out. 
A good lesson to learn, by the way. But the fur, you could touch, and of course it was icky and dry. You could touch linen. Fake, fake linen. Let me put it to you this way. It's all artificial, so you're not actually touching this stuff. But uh, So you could touch the fake fur, the fake linen. They actually had dried mummy skin, you know, what it would feel like. Dried bog skin, and I think even bog bones. So you got to touch these kind of artificial things. A little bit more of a graphic piece. Uh, they actually did show animal decomposition over a period of time. Uh, This included a rabbit, a pumpkin, a rat, and I had to leave. I was like, I'm not watching the rat decompose. I like rats, okay? And I don't want to see a dead rat. It's just too sad. And I mean, literally, I watched the rabbit and I watched the pumpkin, you know, and you would see the rabbit go from being this cute little thing to it like melted into fur and then they would reverse it. So you would see it go from fur back to corpse. Okay. So that was the little graphic. Again, nothing that I don't think the general public could handle, but if you are of sensitive stomach, you might not want to see that. They did have some cool stuff there, though. Number one, they had a mummified falcon from ancient Egypt. And the coolest part was that it was a fake mummified falcon. Because in ancient Egypt, sometimes when they killed these falcons, falcons were kind of expensive. And so they would fake people out. They would sell them, you know, sawdust that was in the form of a mummified falcon. Or, you know, artificial birds. Sometimes like they would, or not artificial birds, the wrong type of birds. There we go. You know, in one case, they packed a sparrow, you know, and mushed stuff around it, you know. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So I was ancient Egyptian. I was like, I I think I did a Paranormal Pets episode on that once. I was very excited. And they also had, in one of the cases, these really neat, they had a mummified Egyptian cat, And they were actually very factual. They did talk about the British Museum, uh, where they have a collection of these mummified cats. And they did talk about, oh, just actually a plethora of things with it. How, you know, how these would be raised on farms, how there were a bazillion of uh, these mummies out there at one point. It was pretty neat. And uh, it was beautifully done. Uh, It was very rare, for example, for a mummified cat to actually have, but they did have some of these, but to actually have a death mask. And sometimes they were even put into wooden coffins, which was pretty neat. Possibly house pets, possibly sacrifices to the cat goddess. They had a mummified dog, which was interesting to see. They had a mummified ibis. Uh, which I have to say, or Ibis, if you want to say it that way, first time I've ever seen one in person. You didn't get to see inside. I mean, it was all wrapped up in all the linen, but it, it was there. And I was like, this is really cool. They even had a mummified fish, which totally rocked, actually, because I have only read about those. And very rarely, it was the, most likely an Egyptian perch. You know, they're very common, and uh, they have been mummified as part of an offering. And then they also had a mummified crocodile, a baby crocodile that had passed away that had been mummified and literally wrapped. So that rocked. I loved it. Other parts of the exhibit, if you are interested in human mummies, uh, first of all, they actually had a piece of a papyrus that did depict something that's commonly called the Egyptian Book of the Dead, not really in existence, but one of the spells that the dead would have known. It was really neat to see. I I really enjoyed seeing that. Uh, They had human mummies. They actually had Egyptian mummies. They had Coptic 
Christian mummies. These mummies actually from Egypt dated, I think one of the, the oldest was maybe the third intermediary period, and there was one from the New Kingdom. And then a lot of these actually dated, you know, early modern millennium. So 4th century CE, etc. Really neat to see. A lot of these uh, mummies, for example, we only have pieces of, and they actually had a display of three mummified heads, a mummified foot. We don't know anything else about. We don't even know gender. My friend and I, since we couldn't really bring equipment in, we did kind of want to see if we could sense anything with this exhibit. And I know that sounds really unusual, but sometimes if you can't bring in equipment, you have to go back to the old-fashioned, do I feel anything? And oddly enough, with the three mummified heads, the middle head, I actually felt really heavy, kind of this really odd sensation. I did check the EMF in that area, and it was no different. We did try to ask a couple of questions, got no response, but it was just a really strange feeling. The only thing I wish I could have checked in that area was the floor in case it was slanted. It didn't seem to be, and it doesn't make much sense based on the placement of the other objects that I felt absolutely nothing for except for this middle head. So off you go. And another, actually there was a second area where I felt something personally, and so did Mary. The two of us were just like, this is really strange. There was a small child's mummy, a Coptic Christian 4th century child's mummy on one side, and then a mummy of a, I think it was a New Kingdom priest on the other side. And the area on one side of the priest, both of us actually felt kind of this strangeness, this heavy presence, like there was something there or something was off. The weirdest thing is if you would walk around the other side, there's nothing. It was just really in between these two mummies. So again, I did check the EMF because I do think that that affects us. It was steady. Uh, We didn't really ask any questions. uh, And the only other thing I wish I, again, could have checked was the floor. But I didn't feel a single oddity for the rest of the exhibit. And this was about four rooms worth. They did have uh, South American mummies, which were really interesting to see. A little graphic again. Sometimes, again, you're dealing with children as well as adults, male and female. But, of course, sitting up, which is very different you know, than the Egyptian prone mummy. They had European mummies, Oceanic. They actually had some mummies that they didn't know anything about. Apparently, this entire exhibit was inspired by a museum that in the early part of the 20th century, so the 1900s, early somewhere in there, they had an art exhibit that the artist requested these mummies for. They put the mummies into storage and lost them until recently. They just found out they had all of these mummies in there. And the problem is that they, on some of these mummies, there's no identifiable clothing, no identifiable cultural items, and nothing else to go on. So they actually have an Asiatic figure. That's about all they know based on the shovel of the, you know, shovel-shaped. They're not incisors, but there are teeth in there that are next to the incisors. That uh, if they're shovel-shaped, they tend to be Asiatic. So I learned that too. I didn't know that. They had Oceanic Pacific Islander. Don't know anything about it. Just that much information. I mean, literally, it's really fascinating. And then eventually you do reach around to the European mummies, which basically are folks that were left in crypts and churches and then rediscovered. So kind of interesting. 
if you do have the opportunity to go, go. I think it was definitely worth going to. It is a little pricey, and again, I would make sure that you're comfortable to a certain level with seeing these figures. If you are not into corpses, don't go. I'm not into corpses either. I usually deal with ghosts, but you know, historically, uh, this was great. It was really, really neat, and you did learn about the culture, and you learned a lot about the exhibit and the the people in some ways. Uh, even those that they knew nothing about, you still left knowing a little bit. Like this Asiatic figure had a cracked skull, most likely post-mortem, and had possibly a birth defect in his hips that may have been done post-mortem or may have actually been a birth defect, and if so, would have affected his stance. Uh, You knew he was about 17 years old when he passed away, so it was really, really neat in that respect. The other thing I will tell you, and this I thought was interesting, the animal room, as I said, I felt nothing. It's And I'm not a sensitive, so please understand, I'm not sensitive or psychic. I normally don't do this sort of thing, but again, no tools, so I had to rely on myself. And Mary, who is actually one of the spirit sensitives, it was just very interesting. It's like these animals were most certainly willing to pass on, that they were not hanging around their bodies, and they were done with it. The only two places that I felt anything again uh, were the Egyptian mummy's head and by the priest or the Coptic child. I don't know who the heck that was. But only the humans really seemed to be attached, you know? And I was very surprised as well because these figures were so old. Even the more modern mummies, the ones from Europe, came from the 1800s, probably dying from tuberculosis. Nothing. So just just interesting. If you ever have the time and you're in this area, I believe the exhibit is there through September of 2012 and you might want to track it there is an actual official mummies of the world page which i will uh, actually look up while you guys are listening to a break and uh, i will try to make sure that i add it to this entry but now that you've heard me wax on about mummies uh, we're going to go ahead and take our commercial break and when we get back we will hear some good old-fashioned ghost stories we'll be right back after these messages Time for something really scary. A word from our sponsors. Paranormal pets will reappear before you can say Bigfoot. Don't run away. Introducing the new Brett Michaels Pets Rock Collection exclusively at PetSmart. I created it for the pets that rock your world. Shop the Brett Michaels Pets Rock Collection and celebrate PetSmart's 25th anniversary with up to 25% off thousands of items on the PetSmart site. Plus free shipping on orders of $49 or more. Go to PetSmartDeal.com. That's PetSmartDeal.com. P-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-D-E-A-L.com. Love your pets but wish their medications were a lot less expensive? They are at 1-800-PET-MEDS. You'll not only save on flea and heartworm medications, but on prescriptions for arthritis, incontinence, thyroid, and more. And you get fast service, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Plus, our licensed pharmacists ensure accuracy, monitor drug interaction, and more. See why over 5 million people have trusted their pet's health to 1-800-PET-MEDS, America's largest pet pharmacy. Call now or order online. 
Go to PetMeds.com forward slash paranormal to get 10% off any order and free shipping on orders of $39 or more at PetMeds.com. Dyson. The new Dyson Animal Backs are powerful bagless upright vacuums for homes with pets. Air muscle and radio root cyclone technology generates the strongest suction power to powerfully remove dust, dirt, and pet hair from the home or car. To order your Dyson Animal Vac, go to DysonDeals.com. DysonDeals.com to order your Dyson Animal Vac today. Dyson. Music to your ears. My name is Brent Atwater, and I'm the Animal Reincarnation Authority. Join me every week on Alive Again, and let me look at your pet's energy to determine if they're going to reincarnate. I'll be able to tell you when they're going to come back and what they look like. So send me your pet's photo and email me your question at brent at petliferadio.com. I'm looking forward to answering your questions on Alive Again. Every week only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Did you hear that? Our commercials have mysteriously disappeared. Paranormal Pets is back with our haunted host, our ghost host. And as we wind down this episode, I am going to share uh, one recorded paranormal pet episode about a puppy and a ghost cat story. We'll start with the ghost cat story and then insert the uh, interview and then we'll conclude for tonight. All right. I was actually uh, given, I was given permission to post this, but it starts off with, with this. I've lived in this apartment for two years now. It is actually two condo apartments that I've combined into a single unit. It took about six months to do the renovations on the first apartment, then another three months for rehabbing the second apartment to become my master suite and laundry room. I don't recall much of anything happening when I first moved in, while the second unit was still being worked on and I was furnishing the first. Of course, moving into an empty new place that is still under construction means that the whole atmosphere is unsettled. However, about two months after I moved in, I got a pair of five-month-old littermate kittens. That's when I started noticing things. At first, I thought Maurice and Endora were just crazy kittens. By the way, they were Jack and Diane when I got them, but I couldn't live hearing that song in my mind every time I called them, so I renamed them after Samantha's parents. They would play together, running up and down the hallway, wrestling with each other, climb up on anything and everything, including the upper cabinets in the kitchen. But other times... One would be with me, while the other would be doing the same playing alone. Kittens do that, don't they? But it's not that unusual, or is it? Now, I had a cat growing up, but I never remembered her doing that sort of play alone, but I just thought it was my memory. Rebel lived to be 16, so most of my memories of her were as a middle-aged, mature, and very old cat. At first, I just thought that there was some bug they were chasing, and perhaps it was a piece of dust. However, any cat caretaker knows what it feels like when a cat jumps onto the bed. I would feel that behind me, turn over expecting to see one or the other, and there would be no cat. Or I would feel a cat lie down next to me, reach down to scratch whoever's head, but neither Maurice nor Dora were there. Now, this was only an occasional occurrence. Occasional enough that I could convince myself that I was just imagining things, like the monster in the closet. 
After Dora went into heat at 10 months, I hurriedly got both cats altered, no kittens please, and they calmed down quite a bit. But still, they would play alone as if they were playing with another cat. My friends would say, your cats are strange. Then about four months ago, I added TC to the family. Her caretaker was offered a position in Florida and unable to take her with. The initials stand for Tabby Cat. Unimaginative, but she has the same name for almost two years before I got her, so it sticks. Integrating a new cat into a household with a bonded pair is pretty touchy. She's an affectionate cat, but being thrust into a new home with two others made her very wary. It has been the usual hissy fits, growling and squabbling between her and and my pair, but I noticed that even when Maurice and Dora were in the other room, TC would suddenly become alert and start to growl at nothing. In the past month, TC has started the running and playing a alone that the others would do. The incidents of the cat jumping into bed feeling have also increased since I got her. Now I feel it once or twice a day, if not more often when I'm on the laptop in bed. I can't say that I'm imagining it anymore either. When the three are in their respective places in my room, Dora on her chair, Maurice on the cat rack, and TC on the floor, I often feel the ghost kitty jump up on the bed. It's not frightening to me, and they don't seem to be disturbed by it. Now, this building was built in 1926, so possibly there are many spirits attached to it, and this would not surprise me. But talking with my neighbors, I learned that just before I bought the first unit, a woman was evicted from the unit below. Actually, they said hauled away. The reason she was evicted was that she was the proverbial crazy cat lady. They didn't know how many cats she had, but they said it took weeks to clean the unit out. Now, I imagine this phantom feline might have been one of hers or drawn to the building because of her cat. While I was typing the last sentence, Dora was at the foot of my bed and I felt the ghost kitty join us on the bed. While most people think cats are loners, feral females form feline families. Love alliteration that just comes out. Several females will work together to protect and raise each other's kittens. I guess it is not inconceivable that the spirit of a cat would be drawn first to my kittens and feel more like one of the family when I aided the third. If I do have a ghost kitty, that will make this apartment my third place with some sort of ghost. I guess it's one of the perks of a vintage place, along with interesting building details and solid construction. So there you go. Uh, This was submitted by BC, actually, onto the Ghost Discuss list. Very interesting story, and I do plan to post it with permission again to the Paranormal Pets page that I've kind of created on the side. This last little story is one from a paranormal investigation uh, about a puppy named Roxy. So let's listen in. Okay, so what do you experience with your pets? So I hear... um Roxy's collar and then I I will look out the corner of my eye and sometimes I see her and not Clyde and then our black and white cat who died every once in a while I would see him like out the corner of my eye walk in our bedroom and all of three pets died very recently last year and with that I would like to thank you I think we have caught up for the past few entries anyway if you have any paranormal stories that you would like to have read on the air or if you know somebody or you yourself would like to be interviewed, feel free to email me through this website and I look very much forward to adding your stories to this compilation for myself and others to listen to. In the meantime, I hope that you guys uh, remember to support your animal rescue groups, patch your pets, and have a wonderfully haunted day. Thank you.
Life Radio presents Paranormal Pets, where you can always expect the unexpected. Each week we'll discuss all aspects of weird or spiritual animal encounters, ghosts, totems, psychic animals, animal souls, animal angels, and animals in religion, with a little cryptozoology thrown in. Step into the supernatural world of pets every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> 